Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guest. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study with a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. I've come to you this week to develop an assigned theme, Things Most Surely Believed Among Us. Bible students recognize that line as coming from the Gospel of Luke as he introduced his account of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the earth. Things surely believed among us. That suggests that what we're going to be talking about this week is very basic to our faith. It is fundamental to what we believe. But we will be pursuing topics from Scripture that are magnificent in every way. And so I want to personally invite you to be present here at those appointed times as we open the Word of God together and look at those things that are eternal and divine. This morning in the Bible class here in the auditorium, we begin with subject number one, And that is that the God of heaven and earth is the one true God. He is the one and only God that we serve. And now as we continue to develop our theme, we're going to be studying in the gospel according to John, from which we read a few moments ago. This text will serve as the text for developing that Christ is the only way to God, and we want to look at Him through the eyes of the Apostle John as he presents Jesus as the eternal Word. Now, I'm going to be staying very close to the text of John chapter 1, so I want to invite you, if you would like, to open your Bibles to that chapter and let's notice some important matters that are recorded here this morning. I want to begin by noting that the verses we read, the first five verses of what is called John's prologue that runs through verse 18 of John 1, but these words are probably some of the most familiar that are in Scripture. And what we want to do in the development of John chapter 1 this morning, is first of all, we want to look at the eternal Word. And then we're going to notice the identity of the eternal Word, the coming of the eternal Word, and the challenge of the eternal Word. 
So with that, let's, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 1. And notice that the gospel record here begins with these words, in the beginning. Now that reminds us immediately of the way the book of Genesis begins the Bible, in the beginning. But John is taking us all the way back. He doesn't just begin when Christ became a man. He doesn't begin when he started his ministry. But he goes all the way back to the beginning. And he said, in the beginning was the Word. So whatever else we can say, we can say this. The Word was there in the beginning. If he was there in the beginning, that means he was here before the beginning. And just as a a matter of interest, let's ask the question, if he was here in the beginning, what was before the beginning? And I know, first of all, that God was here because in the beginning God created, says the book of Genesis. And that was the beginning of time. But before time, there was eternity. Later this week, we're going to look at eternity. But for now, I just want to say that eternity obviously doesn't have any beginning or any ending. But within the framework of eternity, God gave us what is called time. It had a beginning, and it will have an ending. But before the beginning, there was God. Number two, before the beginning, there was the one that we know as the Christ. And the reason that we know that he was here then is because he's going to be identified by John in chapter 1. And in the beginning, the Word was. I can add to that by saying... That the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Godhood, was here in the beginning. Job 26 and verse 13 says that it was by the Spirit of God that the heavens were garnished or beautified or put into place. Those who are familiar with the Genesis account will note that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the waters. And the Spirit of God moved. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were here before the beginning. And I want to suggest to you that while we're not told specifically, I believe that perhaps the best answer to the origin of the angels is that they were here in the beginning. They are created beings, by the way. Psalm 148, which is the basis of that wonderful song that we sometimes sing, Praise the Lord, ye heavens adore Him. The psalmist is focusing upon the creation, and included in the creation are the angels. However, they are not mentioned in the six days of creation of Genesis chapter 1. So, it 
possibly is that they were created sometimes before, sometime before that. But they were here. In Job chapter 38, after Job had questioned God about his suffering, and God is ready to answer him, he said, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world and the sons of God shouted for joy? Well, we know that no man was here when God laid the foundation of the world. That happened on the sixth day. But in the book of Job, the sons of God seemed to be the angels. And they shouted for joy at the foundation of the world. That be as it may, there were those who were here before the beginning. But I know more than that. I know that there was personhood before the beginning. Because the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are presented as persons, thinking, feeling, acting beings. And I also know that this personhood included purpose because God has always had a purpose. Long before there was a man, long before there was a world, God saw time as though it were already here. And he saw man. He saw the fall of man. And he purposed to redeem man. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians, speaks of the eternal purpose of God. In Peter's famous sermon in Acts chapter 2, that focuses upon Christ and tells us three things basically about Jesus. That he was a man approved by his miracles, that he was crucified and slain, and God raised him from the dead. But in Acts 2 and verse 23, when Peter was saying, you took him and with wicked hands crucified and slew him, he adds that all of that was, was, was by the determined counsel of God. Jesus didn't die because the Jews turned against him. He died in the eternal purpose of God. God had a design. God had a plan. Determined counsel. That word counsel has as one of its meanings a military term. Speaking of military leaders coming together to consider how best to meet the enemy. And the Holy Spirit chose that word to tell us about God's purpose. And we can only imagine Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coming together in holy counsel to determine how best to meet the enemy. And out of that counsel, one member of the Godhead was selected to come to the world to be born as no one had ever been born, to live as no one had ever lived, and to die as no one had ever died for the sin of the world. There was purpose before the beginning. And there was love before the beginning. In the intercessory prayer of Jesus in John 17, He spoke of the love that God had for Him. Before the foundation of the world. And it was love that prompted 
everything that we now know in redemption in Christ. So John says, in the beginning, the Word was. In the beginning was the Word. Now notice second. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That literally means face to face with God. He was not the Father, but He was face to face with the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And next, John says, and the Word was God. He wasn't the Father or the Holy Spirit, but He was of the same nature as the Father and the Holy Spirit. That is, He had a divine nature, therefore He was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John says the same was in the beginning with God. But then notice this line. John says, All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Well, I thought that God created everything. Well, He did, but the Father created the world through the agency of the Son. And then, as Job tells us, He beautified it, set it in order by the Holy Spirit. But Christ is involved in the creation of the world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Then next, in Him was life. Now, if everything was created through the agency of Christ then He is the creator of physical life, spiritual life, and eternal life. Physical life is ours. It comes from God. But in Christ there was life. When we sinned and fell away from God, we were separated from God. That's what sin does. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 tells us that. And separation means death. The basic meaning of death is separation. When a man's body and spirit are separated, he is dead. And when you and I are separated from God, we are dead spiritually. And Christ came into the world so that he might reconcile us to God. Therefore, we have spiritual life. And he's the author of it. And he is the author of eternal life because those who believe and obey Christ have as a gift of God eternal life and that is through Jesus Christ our Lord. So John says, in him was life and then he says that life was the light of men. The world was in darkness when Jesus came. We were in the darkness of sin. We didn't know where to turn. There was nothing we could do to save ourselves by ourselves. But then Jesus came and he turned on the light and he showed us the way to God. 
He showed us how to live, not just physically, but spiritually and even eternally. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now, notice the next line. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness does not comprehend it, the New King James Version says. Well, I I think I understand if comprehends is a good translation. Because comprehension says you understand something. So if you don't understand it, you don't comprehend it. And I can see where that may very well be what John has in mind. That people who love darkness didn't pay any attention, did not understand or comprehend what God was offering. But this word translated comprehend also means to put it out, to extinguish it. And when the light came into this world in the person of the eternal word, the world could oppose it, but it could not put it out. It could not destroy it. It can crucify, but it could not destroy because after Friday there was Sunday. And the one who was dead was raised from the dead. So John begins his prologue by introducing us To the eternal word. And we've already anticipated the second major point I want to make. And that is that the eternal word is identified by John. Look at verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now what member of the Godhood? What member of the God family, what member of the deity was ever made flesh and dwelt among us? Jesus of Nazareth. So the eternal word, Jesus Christ, became a human being. Now how is it that a part of deity can become humanity? How how does God become a man. The Bible doesn't leave us to wonder at the answer to that question because both Matthew and Luke record the birth narratives of Jesus. And Luke chapter 1 says that the Holy Spirit came upon a young maiden whose name was Mary and she conceived without ever knowing a man the Christ of God, and gave birth to the only begotten Son of God. So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. John says we beheld His magnificence. Well, John, what did you see? And John could answer, I saw the life that he lived like no other man had ever lived. I heard the words that he spoke 
And they were words of eternal life. We were witnesses of the miracles. John saw them. And those miracles were performed not basically to help people, though they did that, but they were performed to prove who Jesus was, John 20, 30 and 31. John said we saw that. And then John was writing near the end of the first century. And he saw the miracle of miracles. He went that day on the first day of the week and saw the stone that was rolled away. He looked into the tomb, but he didn't see a body. He only saw the clothing. Peter, who was with him, the impetuous one, doesn't stop at the door. He bursts right into the tomb, and he saw that Jesus was gone. And the angel of the Lord said, Why do you seek the living with the dead? He is not here. He is risen, as he said. John saw his glory. And so do we. We were not there. But through the words of the inspired writers, we see what they saw. And we see his glory. We beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, listen. Grace, the unmerited favor of God, was in the world before Jesus came. Truth was in the world before Jesus came. If there had been no grace, God would have destroyed the rebellious children of Israel. And the words that are spoken by Moses and the prophets are words of truth. Well, what does John mean? We beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Jesus brought the fullness of grace. He brought the fullness of truth because he is the embodiment of both. Now, the identity of the eternal word is none other than Jesus. Why does God refer to him as the Word? Why doesn't John simply say, In the beginning Jesus was, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God? Well, there may be more than one answer to give to that, but I want to give this answer. God calls him the eternal Word because words are vehicles of communication. Words mean something. When God speaks to us, as He does through Scripture, those words have meaning. And if we understand the will and the way of God, we understand the meaning of the words. Words are vehicles of communication. And Jesus Christ came into the world as the Word of God to communicate basically two things. One, Jesus communicated the nature of God. Look at verse 18 of John 1, the end of the prologue. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of the Father, the only begotten Son of God, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, notice, He has declared him. That word means 
made him known. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. If you want to know what God would talk like, listen to what Jesus said. If you want to know what God would act like, look, look at Jesus. Jesus came to reveal the nature of God, to make it known as the eternal Word. But second, Jesus came to declare or to make known the will of God. You remember the mountain of transfiguration of Matthew chapter 17? Jesus went into the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and Moses, the Old Testament lawgiver, been dead for centuries. Elijah, the 9th century B.C. prophet who didn't die at all, he was just taken, appeared with him. Peter said, it's good to be here. Lord, let's build three permanent structures. Let's build three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Moses represents the law of the Old Testament. Elijah represents the prophets. Let's build three tabernacles. But while he was yet speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed him, and a voice out of that cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased, hear him. And Moses and Elijah were gone. Now, what's that about? Well, if you want to know the will of God now, you don't go back to Moses and the law. What Moses wrote is valuable to us. It's worthy of our studies. But we don't go back to the law. If we want to know the will of God, we don't go back to Elijah or the prophets. Their writings are profitable, but we don't go there. If we want to know the will of God for today, God says, hear Him. The eternal Word made known the nature and the will of God. So there is the eternal Word. The Word is. The Word is identified. Now number three. The Word is came. Now come back with me to verse 10. He, the eternal word, was in the world. Now that word means the created world. He was on the earth. That's what it means. He was in the world and the world, the created world, was made through him. But notice the change. And the world did not know him. Now the created world doesn't know or not know as human beings do. And so Christ created the universe. He came into the earth. But coming into the earth, the inhabitants of the earth, the people... The people, according to verse 10, did not know him. Verse 11 substantiates what I've just said. He came to his own. The word that is used here by John means his own things. The things that he had created. He came into his own earth or his own world. He came into his own things, 
and his own people did not know him, did not receive him. The trees and the mountains and the grass and the oceans did not receive him. They were not designed for that, but people were. He came into the created world and the inhabitants of the earth did not receive him. Notice verse 12. But as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Now there are several things that deserve our attention. Notice that that John says, he came to his own, his own did not receive him, but as many as received him. What does that mean, to receive him? We hear a lot about it in the religious community, receive Christ. But I doubt that many know really what's involved in that. The Apostle Paul used the word received in response to Christ in Colossians 2 and verse 6. And he said this. You have received, you're talking to Christians now, you have received Jesus Christ as Lord. You haven't received Christ by just believing that Jesus lived, or even by by believing that Jesus died and rose again. You receive Jesus Christ in recognizing his Lordship. And what does Lord mean? It means the master of a slave. He's the master, we're not. We're not the ones that decide how we'll be saved, and we're not the ones who decide how we'll worship God. God decides that. Christ is the master, we're the servants. This original word for Lord means the owner of an estate. He owns us, He bought us with His blood. We are the owned. It's master and servant. It's owner and the owned. So to receive him is receive him as Lord. Look at the last part of the verse. As many as received him, he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe. Even to those who believe. Those who believe are those who receive. Those who receive are those who believe. But notice, believe Believe in His name. Believe in Him. There's a difference in believing facts about Christ and believing in Him. Let me illustrate it. Suppose you go to your doctor for your annual physical. And after all the tests are run, you come into the doctor's office for a consultation. And the doctor says, you need surgery immediately. Now, you may believe the doctor, but you haven't believed in him yet. You may believe what he said, but only when you say, I believe I need this surgery and I want you to do it that you believe in him you place yourself in his hands and when you receive Christ and believe in his name you receive him as Lord whatever he says you want to do 
You believe in His name when you actively surrender to His will. So please do not talk to me about believing in the name of Christ or receiving Him when you're ready to debate with Him as to what you're going to do that He says. Oh, I know the Bible says that, but uh, I don't think. Well, what you think doesn't matter. Not if you receive Him as Lord and not if you believe in His name. As many as received Him, He gave the right, He gave the power to become the, the sons of God. Now, we want to receive Him actively and surrender to His will. Now, I'm only going to have time to do one other thing this morning. But I want you to notice that immediately after saying, those who received Him believed in His name, immediately He said, who were born? Who were born? Now, what did we say earlier about words? Words mean something. If you understand what God says, you understand the words that He uses. And here He used the word birth. So birth has a meaning. What is involved in a birth? Two things. You can't have a birth unless you have these two things. A birth means a conception. And a birth means a delivery. Remove one of those and you have no birth. A would-be mother may have a miscarriage. There was a conception, but there wasn't a delivery, was there? There wasn't a birth. Now, why does the Holy Spirit use this word, born, which means conception and delivery? Because that's the way we're born of God. The conception takes place when we hear the words of the Holy Spirit and believe them. But a birth hasn't happened. That's a conception. And that's the Spirit's part in the new birth, bringing life to us. But there's also a delivery in a birth. And delivery is coming forth out of something greater than ourselves. And interestingly enough, when we're baptized, we are immersed into Christ. And then we come forth out of that watery grave. And there has been a conception. And there has been a delivery. And that's the water part of the new birth. Except a man be born again. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter or he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is a conception. And there is a delivery. And that is the new birth. Now, who said that we have to be born again of water and of the Spirit? Who said that? Jesus did, didn't he? John chapter 3, verse 5 to Nicodemus, you must be born of water and of the Spirit. Born says you must have a conception, you must have a delivery. Jesus also said... In Mark 16, in verse 16, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. If a person is saved, they're in the kingdom of God, aren't they? But you can't enter the kingdom unless you're born of water and of the Spirit. 
And he that's born of water and the Spirit is in the kingdom. Therefore he is saved, isn't he? But Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Therefore, when one believes and is baptized, he's born of water and the Spirit and has experienced a birth, a conception, and a delivery. John says, as many as believed in him in the way we've talked about here today, those who have received him have been born. And he says it wasn't as the will of man. It wasn't a physical birth. But they are born of God. And the eternal word challenges us to do what he asks us to do and to live as though we acknowledge him as Lord. Jesus Christ said it himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father but by me. There are millions of people in the world who recognize Muhammad as the greatest of the prophets. They say Jesus was one of the prophets, but Muhammad was the greatest. That's what the Koran and the written documents of the Muslim religion say. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, no one comes unto the Father but by me. I want to ask as I close today, have you come to the Father through Him? The eternal Word was and is. The eternal Word came in the person of Jesus Christ. The eternal Word shows us the way and challenges us to accept it. What about you? Born again of water and the Spirit? You could do that today. Living the life in Christ? Are you trying to do that under the Lordship of Jesus? Is He really your master? Do you really want to do His thing? You've been doing your thing. Perhaps you ought to make some changes in your life. Let's stand and sing.